Today, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Now, you know from listening to this show that our money is broken. Fortunately, we have Bitcoin, a better money that will help us build a brighter future. But if you don't have a Bitcoin strategy and a trusted partner to help you execute that strategy, then you're probably going to fall behind. Now, I've known the Swan Bitcoin team for years. The Bitcoiners at Swan are mission driven and have deep expertise and respect in the Bitcoin space. In my opinion, this is the team you want on your side. Today, I'd like to highlight Swan's private client services division, which guides high net worth individuals and businesses around the world toward building and preserving wealth with Bitcoin. So visit swanprivate.com and learn how this concierge service gives you direct access to your dedicated Bitcoin advisor by phone, messaging, and email. Swan will guide you on complex areas such as self-custody, or you can choose to hold your Bitcoin through Swan with one of the largest U.S. regulated custodians. So make your first purchase with Swan Private and get $100 of Bitcoin. Just tell them that I sent you. You know, an opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family and company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. Sign up at swanprivate.com today, mention Breedlove to your advisor, and get $100 in free Bitcoin when you make your first buy. Ed Dowd, welcome to the What Is Money show. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Glad to have you. Uh, this has been a long time coming. Just by way of quick introduction, uh, you are a former equity portfolio manager with BlackRock, and you also have a, a multi-firm career on Wall Street. You've worked both uh, in bonds and in equities, and as you were just saying offline, that that is somewhat unique and also contributes to your unique perspective on things. And uh, I guess recently you've had quite the run of celebrity uh, in, in coming out and talking about a number of these contentious topics, and uh, I'm excited to jump into yeah, but, yeah. these with you today. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I, I call it my 15 minutes of fame. I didn't realize how we've gotten to the point in our country where a guy living on the base of a volcano in the middle of the Pacific on Maui just says a couple things about what I see as, you know, the evidence of the case, and it blows up. I mean, what, what's sad about what's going on is this should have been caught in January, February of 2021, and we in, in the normal time, like in the 70s. When they pulled the swine flu vaccine, this would have been pulled then. Uh, but the fact that people like me have to come forward and like point out the obvious, it's kind of a statement on the fear and narrative control that the uh, the uh, regimes across the globe are trying to perpetrate and, 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 and silencing people. I just didn't realize how bad it was until I became quasi 15 minutes of fame. Kind of struck, kind of struck me as odd. What, how did I get, how did a guy on an island get famous just by speaking simply true? and right. facts and data that's it so i'm not i'm not i'm not a genius i just i guess i just had the uh temerity to do it wow yeah i'm reminded of the it might be an orwell quote it says the further a society drifts from the truth the more it will um attack those who speak it something yeah. like that so you you yeah. can really shine amongst the sea of bullshit just by telling the truth right <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's, yeah, I, 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 that's why my ego is uh, in check because it's it's not me. It's just that I happened to hit a chord that I, I didn't realize was so big. You know, I didn't realize that people were desperate for just simple truth. 
Yeah, well, well said. Um, so maybe we could start with, you know, as we we're just talking about offline, there seems to be a conflict of narratives or conflict of stories, um, information, informational structures. I don't you know what exactly we want to call these things that, um, you know, so I guess you could point this to Yuval Harari's thesis and sapiens this has been talked about in a lot of other books though, that, you know, humans create these imagined orders, we inhabit them. And there's always been a lot of, uh, contention among people trying to control them, right. To control the narrative, to control the story, to control the flow of information. Um, this, this has been like an ongoing saga throughout human history. And right. it seems like, that is also the proper way to describe what's happening today, that we're engaged in another one of these episodes of, you know, where's the truth, right? Everyone's sort of talking past each other and there's a lot of different stories out there. So maybe we could just start with a brief history of this. Um, I guess what we could call information warfare um, and just, how did we get to this point? Like what's, how did we get to this point today where one guy telling the truth in Maui is can blow up to such an extent? There, there's and, a lot of truth tellers, but my, I, I, I have the finance angle, but, but there are a lot, of, I don't want to take credit as the only guy. There's lots of, of people course. out there, especially yeah. the, the, the good doctors, but I'm the guy from wall street that, that I'm just the first wall street guy to really kind of come out and say, what the hell's going on. And I applied my wall street skills to analyze um, you know, CDC databases, insurance company, like, and, you know, the evidence is everywhere. So I just applied what I did for stocks on this particular kind of macro situation. And sure enough, if this was a stock, I'd be hundred percent right. Making a ton of money. Unfortunately, people are dying and getting injured, but to your point about narratives. So I studied cultural anthropology and it's a study of just, um, how different, uh, cultures adapt to their environment. But the one thing they all had in common was an oral tradition of passing along their history through stories. And that's how we as humans kind of process information stories. And uh, the, the throughout history, great empires and rulers have understood this. In fact, I think it's, it's one of those things that, that there's something called the mystery schools where they pass down the knowledge to the elites. And mm -hmm. it's basically deep understanding of human psychology that a lot of us don't have. Some of us have an idea. But it's basically how the human mind operates and humans uh, tend to uh, follow stories and storytelling and, they, and stories that resonate with them. Um, and you can manipulate stories. You can tell stories that tr um, trigger the fear part of the brain, which then suppresses critical thinking. You know, think, mm -hmm. think the COVID narrative was all about fear, suppressing your critical thinking skills and getting you into a state of fear and terror. Um, that, that was the COVID narrative. Um, you know, this, this has been around with us for a long time. Edward Bernays, one of the great uh, um, writers in the 30s, wrote a book called Propaganda. And the, 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 the hidden hand of our rulers has been there for a long time, but they didn't have the, technolog the technology to really do what they're trying to do now. Um, so it was, in, in my estimation, a lot of the propaganda early on was more about war and you know patriotism and jingoism and getting people to all rally around global conflicts when they would pop up and that was the main purpose of propaganda 
Then propaganda made its way into Madison Avenue. Uh, Edward Bernays, a lot of his tactics and stuff were taken into pushing uh, consumerism and materialism on people, telling stories about, you know, 30 second ads and why you need this, and why this makes you a special person. So that, that was the advent of propaganda in just our general daily life. I mean, every time you see an ad, it's, it's a form of propaganda. Um, you know, there's, they're, they're, they, they hide the, the flaws of the product, only highlight the benefits of the product. Um, so propaganda and narrative and storytelling has been with us for a long time. And then, you know, you roll into uh, the 70s and 80s, there were, I think, some, something like 200 plus independent media um, companies. And they, you know, there were, you know, people own local stations, local TV stations, radios. And then um, uh, during the 90s, there was a great, uh, uh, I think um, Clinton passed the Telecommunications Act in the uh, 90s and that opened up the door. There used to be rules that didn't allow um, cross, you couldn't get too big because there was a fear of getting too big and controlling the message. So that, that act ushered in a um, takeover frenzy and communicate telecommunications and media. And now we have six, basically six global corporations that control all of the mainstream media. And it took a while, but you could, you know, for years, it took a while they had to, you know, consolidate, put in their systems, but the message is the message. And you can see, we've all seen those famous uh, YouTube videos of local television channels all parroting the same thing. So, you know, if you aren't aware at this point that there's a top-down attempt to control the message, then you're just not in the game. But it's been going on behind the scenes quietly for a long, long time. Um, and but, however, at the same time that was going on, there was the rise of the independent media because the truth started to get tarnished and tarnished and tarnished. So there was a there was a window of opportunity for independent media, and uh, they started off. Uh, you know, you know, Drudge Report was one of the early ones. Um, he's been compromised, but he but early on he was a a, a beacon of light and showed people the way. And so, you know, Infowars popped up and all these other internet.com places popped up. Then the platform companies came into being, the Facebooks, the YouTubes, the Twitters, and everybody hopped onto the platforms and got even more following. Um, and some people even started their, their platforms on YouTube and, and, and things were going okay. Then the 2016 election happened. And I remember watching the 2016 mainstream media coverage and it was pretty much basically hundred percent fraudulent. I mean, they were, there were, um, you could tell they were uh, sizing up the crowd to make it look huge for Hillary Clinton, but it was not. And then there were, there were people who were there who would take videos of how the few people that were there, put it on social media and that went around. So Trump won because of social media in 2016. Um, you could, I mean, it, it, if you remember the mainstream media was telling us that Hillary Clinton had an 80% chance to win the day before. That's what the New York Times said, 80% chance. But the social media stats would suggest, and I, I predicted he was going to win, and everyone thought I was crazy, but the social media stats predicted it because uh, her YouTube videos were getting 200 views. Trump's YouTube videos in 2016 were getting like 80,000 views. So once they realized that social media, and he had a Twitter account, he used it quite well. So once the, the establishment realized, because he wasn't supposed to win, he was an anomaly. And he won, and that freaked them out, okay? 
that freaked them out immensely. So that's when you started to see the beginnings of the censorship. And it, it was the Overton window. They started slowly and they moved it. In fact, I knew it was coming as of January 3rd of 2017 because I read a bunch of different weird stuff. There was an article that struck me as super interesting. It was written by Defense One, which is a, um, a military industrial complex rag that's owned by the Atlantic, the guy who owns the Atlantic. And they wrote something called the weaponized narrative is the new battle space. And I read it and they talked about, you know, because at the time they were trying to propagate the Russian interference in our election. They were talking about international narratives coming into the U.S. But what they really were saying was, we're going to control the narrative here. And you could tell that was a blueprint uh, uh, of what they were going to do and roll out. And they've been rolling it out slowly to the point where now it's draconian, straight in your face, you know, fascism of censorship. I mean, it's full on crazy town now. Um, so that's that's how we got here. Uh, and the problem now is the government back in the day when they were doing their war propaganda was, you know, 10, 15% of the economy. It's now 43%. And now they're trying to run this COVID scam, which I believe is a um, system of control to help um, usher in a new currency, digital bank currency, and collapse the old system. And they need to prevent travel riots and they need to blame something. And COVID is a convenient excuse to blame. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, this whole, uh, the, then the government, when they printed the money in 2020, became 43% of GDP. So now the reason why the lies are so ridiculous, and as of this week, we saw they're going to report the, the Q2 GDP numbers. They're going to be negative. We had a negative quarter last quarter. That has always been the official start of a recession, two negative GDP quarters in a row. They are trying to literally in real time change the definition of a recession. What's going to be interesting, and we're going to know that the mainstream media is completely controlled, if they carry water for the Biden administration and claim that this is not really a recession, you cannot rely, I already rely on zero mainstream media, but if you're still in doubt, you people out there that are, are like still watching mainstream media, if they try to propagate that this is not a recession after 80 years of that being the definition, you've got to run as far away from mainstream media sources as possible and not, never go back, never go back. Um, and this is where we are. We're at the point where it's comical. They're trying to float monkeypox now as something we should be scared of. Monkeypox is a joke. Monkey, I don't, I don't care if they did actually, you know, um, alter it in, in, a, in the lab and launch it. it it's not airborne. Um, it doesn't spread, it, you know, it doesn't spread via air. It's just not the type of disease that get, gets transmitted like COVID. Uh, and COVID was mostly just a, a rebranded flu, in my opinion. Um, so here we are. The, the WHO just came out and said uh, there's a pandemic. And he, over, he overruled eight of his, his members, Tedros did. So he's declared it a pandemic. There's whispers and chatter I'm hearing in the Twitter sphere, the Geta sphere, the internet chatter is that the Biden administration's getting close to trying to declare monkeypox a pandemic. Or if not monkeypox, some new COVID variant that they'll scare us with. And the reason they're gonna do that is because they can't lose these elections because if they lose these elections, the midterms, all the crimes are going to come out. So we're going to see some of the strangest 
lies. It's really good we're doing this interview. We're going to see some of the strangest, in-your-face, gaslighting lies I think we've ever seen. Like, don't believe your lying eyes. You know, Don't believe the fact that uh, everybody around you is losing a job, their jobs and inflation's at, uh, real inflation's at 25%. I mean, headline's nine. But don't believe any of this. It's all... And, and it's all Putin's fault and Trump's fault and whatever else. I mean, and, and anybody who believes that is truly lost. I mean, you're just gone. You're not, you're not operating the same consciousness level that you and I are operating on. You're just not even in the game. So that's kind of like a brief history of how we got here. And um, the fact that the global governments, after the great financial crisis, there was a there was a there was a power shift from capitalism to government and a fusion of corporations and state. And because of the bailouts, the government kind of had the Wall Street um, at their at their beck end. So over the last twelve years, there's really been this crony capitalism, this growth of government to the point now where it's nothing more than rent extraction from people, economic rent extraction. And this COVID vaccine, the plan was to have quarterly injections forever. And then, you know, eventually you'd end up, but that doesn't look like it's gonna work out because the thing doesn't, the thing, the thing kills people too quickly and it doesn't work. I mean, they, they blew it. If that was their plan, they blew it. And it was gonna be um, vaccine as a subscription service and all sorts of politicians and corporations, tech, tech companies with surveillance tech to sell and uh, the medical community, they're all gonna make so much money off this front extraction. And if you think these vaccines were gonna be free forever, I have another thing coming for you. I mean, they were gonna start charging people for these things, but you had under the color of law to keep taking them. The good news is this has failed. And right now the crimes are starting to be, um, are coming to light. More and more people are waking up at a super fast rate. I don't know how you think about this, but I, I, I can smell minds, the marginal minds starting to change. They may not be where you and I are, like in terms of our knowledge of what's going on, but they're like, what is, what, what do you mean? I took this vaccine and it doesn't work and I got to keep it. What kind of, like, if you're not a COVIDian religious brainwashed person, the, the majority aren't, but you kind of trusted the narrative. You're now like, this is bullshit. That's where we are right now. That's great. Great introduction. Um, and it does make sense that as this continues to unfold and the evidence is stacking up, that the marginal mind is going to be swayed away from that party line narrative that's been pushed. So, okay. A lot of things came up for me there. Um, you know, you, oh, you one more thing I want to say, one, yeah. one more thing I want to say about the narrative. What was interesting was uh, Klaus Schwab was calling it the great reset, the great reset. He realized he was losing control of the narrative. So he actually said, we have to create the great narrative. So that's how important narrative is. He switched from great reset to great narrative. And you can also see they're now pivoting from COVID to ESG and climate, you know, hoaxes. It's all, uh, it's all about control and extracting economic rent. But go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that's a great point. And the, the common thread there is just this ephemeral boogeyman, right? Because as you said yes. earlier, through the lens of cultural anthropology, we are we're living in stories. We're thinking in stories. We're connecting to each other through stories. If you can introduce right. some element of fear to the grand narrative the boogeyman you push boogeyman. people out of the critical thinking and down into the more i guess animalistic decision making yeah the rep the reptilian part of our brain right right so 
okay so i'm going to call these this conflict of narratives or ideological structures information wars you know that's a term that that people have used uh could go by a lot of different things but clearly these information wars across human history have been waged uh with information technology right that whatever medium is propagating the message of the day is very important to that you mentioned newspapers you mentioned 20th century broadcasting all of that was part and parcel to these that's basically the equipment of these information wars or the weapons if you if you will and going into the digital age there's this tectonic shift in information technology and it seems like the big pull now is like okay you've got existing entrenched interests trying to pull us to a centralized grand narrative like schwab is describing and then maybe on the decentralized media side there's people that are just kind of i guess becoming investigative journalists by accident in a way like you're just yeah, there's there. been there's there's two yeah there's two types there's the people who just by accident become it and then there are actual people from the mainstream media who are now because of this COVID thing jig um, kind of sh- shook loose a bunch of people who are now starting their own Emerald Rob- Robinson used to be you know mainstream media now she's she's you know and you know she's all well let's call it independent not alternative it's independent um, a couple a couple Infowars reporters came from the mainstream media. I mean it's it's becoming a thing. I mean, it used to be just full on independent people. Now it's like it's bringing people from who cut the lies are so bad. They can't even handle it anymore. Like they're, they're, they're having cognitive dissonance. Right, right, right. So let me ask you about that then, because you mentioned obviously propaganda is part and parcel to these information wars. That's when you're trying to implant a narrative or a perspective into people's minds. Correct. Seen the movie Inception. It's something like that, but with less dreams, more just, you know, narrative. How, and we always have to flip this and look at ourselves and say, okay, well, how would our audience know? How can they discern whether we're propagandists or truth seekers or truth tellers? How do you distinguish between the two? Like, what is your, how does your filter work to where you say, oh, this is propaganda or misinformation or disinformation? This is more, um, authentic i guess um a more authentic message let's say well there's, there's two things um one is discernment you know does it does it ring true to you when you hear it just in your gut and i've had that my whole life um and do, do, do the facts on their face make sense to you and if they don't then that requires investigation also i've learned that when someone reports on a uh source document they're going to spin the narrative so uh, more often than not i go straight to the source document i don't care about the spin or the narrative i want to read the document for myself whether it's a federal press uh federal reserve press release or whitehouse.gov or trump says something i'm not going to read what the wall street journal or new york times says about what trump said i'm going to read what trump said and then so i do a lot of going straight to the source um independent journalists um you got to be careful because everyone, people do, I mean, we're human, so people have agendas. So you got to find people that, and this is what I did on Wall Street. So I, I use, this is the second thing I want to, on Wall Street, I liked, you know, I, I, I covered uh, technology and software and I was a portfolio manager and an energy company. So I had to work with, you know, a lot of 
smart sell side analysts at, you know, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, wherever. And I had to figure out who were the best, but also who were the ones willing to admit they were wrong and pull a 180. Because part of, part of um, uh, being good in, 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 on Wall Street was not, not, I mean, buying a stock is easy, but knowing when to sell it is more important and admitting when you're wrong, right? So I like to follow people who can admit when they're wrong. Alex Jones has admitted he's wrong. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't claim he knows everything and he's bombastic. So I know how to read between the lines. Like you have to kind of have your own filter and you also have to follow people who have admitted mistakes. Anyone who claim like I, one thing I can't say about the mainstream, they never admit they ever made a mistake and they keep, that's, it's like, it's like, yeah, that's, 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 an, that's a subtle form of gaslighting. I'm perfect, but we, you know, we've documented times they were wrong. They never admit it and they keep going along as if they're perfect. It's insanity. So that's 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 how you can kind of navigate the independent media. I mean, always and I'll always, you know, just because we're independent doesn't mean we're good. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean uh, we don't have agendas. You have to have your own discernment. And it doesn't mean and not everybody in the independent media is a good person. And, there, you know, there are people that have been propped up as independent media people who I'm I'm not going to say publicly, but I suspect are, you know, um, Co-Intel Pro, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're, um, what do you call it? Uh, controlled opposition. Gotcha. Double you know, agents. Where they, where they tell uh, truth on 80% of 80% mm. of it, but then the 20% that the establishment wants them not to touch, they lie or they, 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 they navigate around. And those are easy to find I, One name comes to mind. I'm not going to say it, but I think a lot of people could figure it out. <laughs> Fair enough. So that's that's helpful. Going straight to the source, discernment or trusting the gut, and following people who are humble uh, or yeah. enough, right, to admit when they're wrong and whatnot. Yeah. You mentioned also the Drudge Report as one of those early independent media outlets, but then you said, but he became compromised. How do we? How do you discern when someone shifts from, say, pursuing truth to becoming compromised? And I guess that. I, compromise presumably means towing a party line of some kind, I assume. Well, yeah. So he, he was viewed as a conservative guy, but he really wasn't. All he was doing was aggregating headlines. He, he didn't write it. He hardly wrote anything. And he broke, a, he broke the Monica Lewinsky story. But other than a couple things, he mostly was an aggregator of headlines. But he did it in such a way that it was a good way to view what was really going on because media will report on things, but the, the way they position it or highlight it is a way of, 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 you know, making sure it goes away. So if you have a, a story that's on page 28 uh, of the paper, no one's going to read it. if It's not on the front page, but Drudge had a good knack for finding important things on page 28 and just putting it on his page. You're like, wow, that's a super interesting story. What happened was, he saw what was coming in terms of the censorship. He got scared and then he sold his company basically. So once he sold it, you could tell there was a massive shift towards um, highlighting what an agenda. And so once he, once right. he kind of gave up ownership, I, that's, that's when I knew I haven't looked at the George report in over a decade. I'm now watching citizens free press. Fair enough. Yeah. So what, um, okay. So, I guess as a second order piece of advice to distinguishing truth telling from propaganda, you also need to watch the incentives of the individuals you're following, right? If they sell their Correct. company, 
then their incentives have changed a lot, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. That makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. Whenever you're watching an independent news person or source, you're just going to know where are they in life. And if they're in the building something and then they want to punch, punch out, you know, that, that you get a question. Well, okay. You know, you do deserve to monetize it. People do have homes to buy families to raise, but if they, you know, one thing I admire about Alex Jones is he he saw what was coming. So he built up a products part of his media. So he didn't have to rely on advertising because he knew they'd pull it and they did. So now, he, you know, he built an independent money generating machine. Where, where do the cash flows come from for these people? If the cash flows come from an in-store place or what have you, that's more credible than, uh, you you know, you have a, you know, um, you're backed by some unknown family somewhere and you have a white nut, you know, you just got to always, what are the, what are the sources of funding? Where do they get their money? How do they yeah. make the money? Yeah. Yeah. Follow the money as they say, and you can get a better framing on someone's intentions overall. Correct. Um, because yeah, if someone's sponsoring you, then presumably some of that intention is getting through too, right? They're sponsoring you for a reason. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, I, um, I, there's there's some conservative influencers who I know I'm not going to name because I don't want to get into wars with them. But they're you know, they're some of their money comes from the Koch brothers and the Koch brothers are, uh, uh, you know, they're 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 put up as these evil right wingers. Actually, they give more money to the Democrats. They're capitalists, crony capitalists. They don't care. They'll let you think they're right wingers. What they what they want to do is control the narrative. One of their narratives is they want cheap labor, so they want to make sure that uh, immigration and the borders are wide open. But so they want to steer people away from that. So you know they have other agendas, hidden agendas. So that's 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 this kind of when you see someone that you like not going after an issue, ask the question why not? Right. Not not that everybody has to hit every issue, but if they never talk about it, there's a reason. Right. 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 Yeah. The the. Silence can be deafening sometimes. Yes. Um, okay. So you, you made this point too, that after, I assume this is the March 2020 uh, liquidity crisis, we had this huge round of money printing globally. Yeah. The government as a result of that, because if when you're increasing the money supply, you're basically increasing the the size of the state typically, right? They're the one getting, right. the getting all they're, the new they're, money. They're already, they're already mid thirties before this, they, they jumped to 43% overnight. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, and it, the, the end game here that I have in mind is like in Soviet Russia, where towards the end, one in three people worked for the government. Maybe, maybe it was two Correct. and three. I can't remember. It was one or two and three. They were basically all informants. So they're all just like right. telling on each other. Yeah. And they're all telling lies all the time because they're, you know, whatever's in service to the state narrative, that that's what was being propagated. So that's like the end game that I hope we can avoid, but it, we've definitely seen it empirically in the past. And now you, you brought up this good point too, that we're seeing the attacks on language already. In particular, we we'll just pick this term recession. Right, recession, yeah. which is has a very bright definition, and historically, right, it's just too. Like, yeah, history, just, so they they came up with the the, the the textbook definition and the the well understood finance definition eighty years ago. It's it's eighty years. It's multi generational. So now we're going to change it today. So is that a canary in the coal mine that that we're yeah. attacking the definitions of words themselves to further 
create the confusion that gets people out of their critical thinking and into their animal instincts. Yeah, no, gaslighting is a form of abuse. And, um, you know, the, the most extreme form of gaslighting is I slap you in the face and say, I didn't hit you. And, and, and no, that's the most extreme form. And that, uh, that's, that's taken to its absurdity, but we all know people who've been in relationships with psychopaths and narcissists and they get gaslit by these people. Um, just imagine that's going on on a global scale from our leaders. They're doing what a narcissist or a psychopath would do to their, you know, significant other or their children or whoever, you know, maybe people they work with, they completely gaslight and gaslighting is something that unless you're aware of it and, and, uh, and, and can guard against it, it makes you question your sanity victim of gaslighting. They question their sanity because the person who's doing the gaslighting is usually very, very confident, very well-spoken, very smart. Sounds like they know what they're talking about. And then you start to doubt yourself. And, and uh, you know, that we're, we're now at the point of like almost slapping us in the face gaslighting. It's so stupid and it's comical to like even dimwitted people. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny in a way, also extremely sad, but I'm, is gaslighting not in, just inherent to the model of the political state in a way? Because they have to, I mean, they're ruling by force, but then obviously you can't say that. They have to say, oh, we're spreading democracy or bringing peace or whatever the narrative is. So I, I guess the question would be, isn't the narrative always necessarily divergent from the reality when you're talking about a state that controls people with, with taxation and inflation and all these things? I would say gaslighting has always gone on in our political system. Don't get me wrong, but uh, there was more independent uh, before the rise of the now independent media. There were, you know, media wasn't as as conglomerated. So, you know, you could you could try to gaslight, which and then somebody, you know, in L.A. might say that's a lie reported. And then right now gaslighting is so intense because no one's calling anybody out on it mainstream media calls out zero gaslighting uh zero lies so that's gaslighting has reached epically absurd proportions because uh the politicians who engage in it keep getting away with it there was a time in the 80s where you you know biden tried to run for president in the 80s and he got called up to the mat on his lies about his um you know uh his his you know where he, where he, where he ranked in law school i think he i think he um made speeches where he ripped off other people's speeches which questioned his integrity so but now all that is like all that kind of gaslighting is like covered up they, they carry the water for these people because the control system has gotten so good you know you can't you can't run anything by like an independent reporter like this with the mic doesn't get to ask their own questions they're told what to ask and in the old days, a reporter would ask their own questions. Now, now it's all controlled. And then the editors will squash anything that isn't fit the narrative. They're all, they're all part of the, they're all part of a control system. And whether it's, um, they're directly involved with intelligence agencies or um, blackmailed, but there, there's definitely a controlled message and a, a, there's things they can't touch. There's gaslighting that they can't touch. Like the vaccine gaslighting is so absurd but none of them touch it, right? That, I don't think COVID would have been possible in the 80s with as many independent uh, 
uh, where, where consolidation hadn't occurred yet in the mainstream media. The so mainstream that, media was still, so. you know, it was, it was their ability to do, their ability of control has never been greater. And I was speaking with uh, someone on the island who lives here, who's a security uh, uh, professional who owns uh, a company that does high-end security for lots of people. And he has CIA, CIA ex-CIA guys working for them. And they're, they're just befuddled by what they see going on. And, and, and I said, do you think the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the cone of silence and censorship is at the point where they have total control? He said, yes and no. But he thinks, they, he thinks that what COVID opened up his eyes to and opened up my eyes to is that the, the actual control is, was greater than I thought. And that's why there's always been gaslighting, but there was, there was like these release valves that didn't make it as bad. Now, when war happened, there was this, you know, remember during the Iraq weapons of mass destruction, you didn't need, you didn't need to um, get people to have a controlled message. Everybody, was angry about what happened and were told that the Iraqis did it. So like, there was just this unified self-censorship. So everyone went in one direction, but with war, it's easier. With other things, it gets harder. Yeah, okay, so the, the centralization of media that you mentioned, we went from many or more media companies down to six. I think you said it was the yeah. number today. This, I'm, I'm tell me if you agree or disagree, this seems like it would have to be related to fiat currency, right? That this new money is being printed and then being used to consolidate these organizations at a high level into fewer right. and fewer hands. So such that the, the media apparatus in the world becomes controlled by fewer and fewer people as a consequence of the wealth that's being concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. Correct. So, Correct. so basically, basically, if you're uh, a super wealthy individual with a couple billion dollars at JP Morgan, right? This is before the Fed started raising interest rates. You were able to get against your assets. You could get, let's say you're two billion, you wanted a billion dollar loan. You would go to the, your private banker and say, I want a billion dollar loan. And they would give it to you at 1%. And the collateral would be the assets that they have on their books because your assets are at JP Morgan. So there was this um, cheap money given to very few people. You and I didn't have access to 1% money. And, and so, and then, you know, Wall Street, um, you know, if you become a favored firm of Wall Street, you have access to capital and then you're able to consolidate. And then once you consolidate, then you can write regulations with Congress to make it harder for new entrance to come in so that size then becomes your the only um sustainable advantage you have it's not because you're good at what you do it's just that you're big and you can pay the regulators so this has been this like nefarious now whether it was a plan or it just happened who knows i don't have the proof but it happened and and there's and these people as you as you climb up the uh the art you know the archaic world of wealth you know it's weird i've met some really wealthy people like one guy with a billion dollars is angry because the guy down the street has two billion. And, it, and, and no, it becomes this weird mindset. And they all cocktail party together, all hang out. And so like they get in their own bubble and they all start thinking they're, you know, masters of the universe, moving chess pieces around the board. So they lose sight of their humanity and it just becomes a number. So COVID, if COVID was a plan, I suspect some of the, the big dogs in corporate America are in on it. 
and they, they didn't think, oh, was it ethical? Well, this is going to happen. The government's going to do it. There's a debt crisis, so we might as well make money. I'm glad I'm on the inside, not the outside. I mean, that that's something that definitely I could see happening. That makes a, a lot of sense. So something I've said previously is that there seems to be some connection when we start to manipulate our media of exchange, which is money, that this bleeds into our media over time. And I think yeah. this this may we may have touched on here that actual mechanism where those that are super rich have access to cheap money credit. This allows them to f- further centralize wealth, right? Into fewer and fewer hands. Yeah. And then they can establish these uh I I guess we could just say in general, engage in media manipulation to protect or enhance those positions. And so, you know, you're printing money, (laughs) driving wealth disparity, but also creating more of this ruler and ruled class as well, the schism in the world, if you will. Yeah. Um, Is there any, like, does it all just come back to the money then? If we had something like, assume there's a Bitcoin standard in the world. We can't print money and bail people out and give all these cheap loans. Would that then mitigate this buildup of, of media centralization and distortion that we've seen over the past 50 to 100 years? I think, I think it would, it would it, it, money, the money and the, the, the debt-based monetary system has ever since 20, uh, 2009, the game changed. We had, we had, we loosely had capitalism with some government interference. Then after 2008, it all changed, became crony capitalism. And then they, that's when the central banks started doing things they'd never done before. Then we, that we went off the rails and the people who got wealthy from 2009 onward were those close to the printing press. And what do I mean by that? If you were a venture capitalist, uh, money was so cheap, you, you know, you were able to raise billions of dollars and then fund you know, projects that didn't have any revenues because they got super crazy valuations. You, if you were a corporate, if you're in the C-suite of a corporation, all you had to do was just keep your seat and you would make, you know, you'd walk out of there with a couple hundred million dollars if you were there for 15 years because you just would issue yourself stock options and your stock and buy back your own stock. So it just became like the, the haves and have nots. And if you were a hedge fund manager that already had 12 billion and you realize the Fed was going to keep bailing you out. All you had to do is run, run a little long, not really be hedged, clip, clip your 2% fee. So if your 12 billion turns into 14 billion, you get 20% of 2 billion, you know, there you go. 400 million uh, payday plus, plus your uh, 2% fee off the fort. So that's what was going on the last 13 years. And then there were some, there were some innovative companies that became public, but for the most part, it was, those close to the printing press really killed it. And if, if you're in real estate, same thing. I mean, if you're a real estate guy, you could get cheap loans and go buy more properties and just continue the game. So cheap money uh, and, and uh, the Fed bailing out um, the government and, and the banks really kick, kicked off this wealth disparity. Um, it wasn't as bad as it wasn't as bad in the 60s and 70s. It got worse once we uh, went off the gold standard and linked to the petrodollar. And then and then it, then it just started and it just kept going. Just kept going. Which makes all the sense in the world, right? We we decoupled from a, 
a monetary, an apolitical monetary anchor, let's say, and then money became fully politicized. So absolutely, and every time that happens, society gets gets ripped in two. Um, okay, you mentioned that we basically went from capitalism with some state interference pre two thousand eight two thousand nine post that era moved into more of a crony capitalist situation. You also mentioned earlier, I don't know, I think the timing lines up here. You said Obama, there was a a law passed in the Obama era or administration where it made it legal to propagandize US citizens. Was that around yeah, the let same me, time? Let me, I'll, I'll Google search the actual name so we get it correct. Because I'm interested in any potential connection to those two things that we shifted to this crony capitalistic model and then the regulatory framework started to change as well yeah, it was called the smith smith munt modernization act in which there was some, i mean it was a big act but within it was the um some wording to no longer make it illegal to propagandize u.s citizens it always been you know, propaganda was only for other citizens never to be used internally they switched it. They changed it. Well, that's been coming up recently. And of course, the fact checkers have come in and said that's not true. But mm -hmm. we, I mean, it was, it's true. Um, and I think the timing of that was uh, definitely because they, they saw they, they were game what was coming as the government becomes such a bigger, bigger piece of the pie. You have to and, and, and is crowding out the rest of the citizenry. You need to have the ability to control the narrative domestically. And they no longer, it was no longer, it was decided in 2013 that we can't have an, uh, you know, um, whoever introduced it knew what they were doing. We can't have a um, marketplace of free ideas and speech. Wow. Yeah. What, what does that, what does that mean exactly to, to make propagandizing U.S. citizens legal? Is, is, because again, as we were saying earlier, to distinguish between, truth-telling and propaganda you kind of have to have these qualitative judgments and whatnot what was it about the, the legal change there that that was especially pernicious um i don't know particularly I, let me just also revise it, it was 2011 12 they did this act mm -hmm. so that was the it was in 12 not 13 but um i don't know that the, the, uh, you know you know free voice america uh, uh I, I don't think so no free voice america was our international propaganda so we would we during this the cold war we would beam in radio uh you know free america free voice america which would propagandize the russians now some of it was truth but some of it was bullshit so basically you can mix bullshit and truth together right. that's basically what it is and, and the idea was when you propagand you, you when you do propaganda you have a, you have a desired outcome regardless of the truth. So propaganda is to get a desired outcome. So that's the difference. So they couldn't do that in, domestically. The government itself couldn't do it. Now they can. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So the, um, the classical divide between like philosophy and sophistry is something similar, right? Where the sophist yeah. is trying to make, create an outcome or create or implant an idea in someone. Whereas the right. philosopher is just trying to talk and figure out what the fuck's going on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, new news is no longer news. News news is to push along an agenda for an outcome. And are we, you know, from what the, the little bit that I have read about 
human psychology is that we are susceptible to that no matter what. Even if you are aware that you're that oh, the mainstream absolutely. media is trying to program you, if you sit there and watch it enough hours per day, you still get programmed, even if you're aware of it. I, that's why I don't have a TV. Right. And I, don't, I don't watch me. I don't watch Fox News, CNN. I will watch clips of important things that I, but just clips. And I don't sit there for hours in front of the TV getting programmed because it, you're absolutely correct. If you sit there, even if you're just cleaning the dishes and it's on in the background, it's getting in there. And I try. I've been trying. I I I I want to be as deprogrammed as possible so that I can uh, think as clearly as I can. I mean, I'm not, look, I'm, I'm, I'm human. So I'm, I'm sure I've been snookered somewhere along the line in the last two years by somebody yeah. claiming to be somebody that they aren't, but you know, I'm pretty good at, pretty good at like sifting. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Is that the, is this kind of the meta thing that's going on? Uh, is that human beings are running some type of cognitive software that's different than animals, right? That we we have the, the capacity for reason and conception and all of these other things. Is the battle then people that understand that are striving to program other people and those and perhaps themselves as well, not to be programmed by other people? Like, is that another way to look at this information war paradigm? Yeah, you I, I like to say I like I like to bring it to you know um, the, the people who uh, are these psychologists they're 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 great have great understanding of human psychology I call them wizards al alchemists they're they want to transmute they want to transform your thought patterns into what they want and they know that there's a, there's an easier way of doing it than trying to convince you of their insanity so deceit fear, deception, look over here, we'll do this over here. Um, they know how the mind works. And I call them wizards. There's there's dark wizards. And then the white wizards, I'd like to think of you and me. We're, you know, we're trying to convince people. We're trying, you know, we're, we're trying to convince people of what we're talking about today. But we're doing it. We're coming at it from, you know, a, more of a place of truth and legitimacy than they are they go in with the intent of deceit i, I like to figure things out and, and analyze and come to a conclusion that like somewhat represents the truth or on, on a path to the truth that's what stock picking was all about being right before everybody else yeah yeah the hmm, i guess what how it feels to me at least is the pathway to truth is through authentic questioning you know so I, i'm not even trying to deliver a message into my audience's mind other than perhaps those questions sometimes like even the name of the show no, right it's like what yeah, is money my, ask yourself the question and see what you figure out yeah my, my my biggest if anyone wants a takeaway think for yourself have some discernment i'm not here to tell you what to think but just please think for yourself that's all yes right yeah amen <laughs> to that uh, okay so you mentioned that that I don't know what we call that exactly. This human programmability thing that is perhaps related to, and I don't know if I'm using the right term here, occult knowledge, perhaps, or some knowledge that's been passed down for many yeah, so it's, centuries. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big misunderstanding of what the occult actually is. The occult, everyone thinks when they hear the word occult, they think Satanism and, you know, killing virgins and drinking blood. No, it just means, means secret, means, right? 
or hidden yeah, or hidden, hidden knowledge yeah. hidden knowledge secret hidden so occult knowledge is hidden knowledge and the great mystery schools and a lot of this stuff you know if, if you want to get conspiratorial i mean there is something called the um uh the skull and bones at yale what what do you think goes on there i i, I don't think it's like as weird as people think i think they're just learning uh, some of this knowledge has been passed down forever, how to control people, how to like set up the Hegelian dialectic. If you want to get your agendas this, you want a thesis, antithesis to get, you, you know, you create create a, a, a problem, get the reaction you want, then offer a solution. You know, that's the that's Hegelian dialectic. And I think, I think, I think that's nothing, it's nothing. A lot of our leaders and the people who run the show are nothing more than those who have been taught this. And it's not. It's not, you know, satanic. It's just hidden knowledge and how to how to move huge populations towards your end goal. And you have to do it over time, create and create fear so that people ask you for the solution that you're offering. Because mm. you can't convince people. You couldn't convince people in 1950 um, to give up all the freedoms that we have since 9/11. Mm, and that, and, sure. and you know, yeah. that, so 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 this is this is how you do it. Are there I don't know anything about that domain of, I guess we'll call it occult knowledge, hidden knowledge, secret knowledge. Are there specific resources, books, or anything that you've found that were uh, insightful on that? Because it, it, where I'm going with this is not, it's not like I just want to have the occult knowledge and try to use it, but it seems like if that were made really super public and open, that that would give people a big leg up to not being programmed. You know, you'd be like, oh, this is what's going on. This, they're running this playbook here you know it's interesting um there's a guy uh, who used to be a former high priest of satan uh who figured out there's something weird going on in the world and he's now he believes in god and he he he's done a lot of work on what he calls um uh natural law mm -hmm. and what is a cult and his name's mark passio he's got a great youtube channel and great website it's like what on earth is what on earth is happening Right. Uh, and he 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 breaks it. I mean, you, he does long winded three hour videos on, on, you know, natural law and the people who know what natural law is and how to subvert it. And so he, there's a lot of it's, it's 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 a very heavy, dense body of work. And it, I like him a lot. I wish he would put out a video where he like, you know, he, he's got a 10 minute video that summarizes it so that people wouldn't have to. Because I, I, I've told people to go look at his stuff, but. They get lost after 20 minutes. I mean, it's 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 in depth. It it requires some time commitment and an open mind. And you know, it's it's not it's it's not it's not it's not crazy satanic stuff. He he used to engage in that. Now he's just saying this is what we know to be true. The folks who run the show don't want you to know what we know to be true because that's if you know what's true, then you can't be controlled. That's basically that's that's it in a nutshell. Right. Interesting. I think I've seen a video of his, he was talking about morality and, and this gets into libertarian philosophy too, because right. I think he makes the point that you could sum the whole, all of human morality up into do not steal, right? Which is right. the same thing as do not kill because you own yourself and all of these things. Yeah. Now I'd like to tell you about a great new Bitcoin show on the scene that you've got to check out. Brought to you by Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine, this show is Hard Money with Natalie Brunel. Natalie is an Emmy-nominated journalist bringing unparalleled experience to the Bitcoin media scene. 
And personally, Natalie is one of my favorite voices in the Bitcoin space. Each week on Hard Money, you'll get the top headlines of the week with analysis you won't find anywhere else. Hard-hitting interviews with amazing guests like myself and other top minds in the Bitcoin space. And the show will take you directly into the lives being changed by Bitcoin all over the world. Check out Hard Money at swan.com backslash hard money. Today, I want to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. So how does health insurance work? You send an egregious amount of money to an insurance company. They hold it in a pool of depreciating fiat currency. Then when you have a large health event, you have to pay them even more via your deductible. And then you hope they will cover your bill. And in fact, one in six bills are denied by healthcare.gov plans. It's time to take control of your own healthcare bills. I'd like to introduce you to CrowdHealth. It's a decentralization of healthcare using Bitcoin as an alternative to health insurance. Instead of sending fiat currency to a big corporation, you send that money to an account controlled by you, a portion of which is converted into Bitcoin. Then if you have a big health event, you have a community of Bitcoiners that will use the money in their accounts to help you out. To get more details, go to joincrowdhealth.com backslash breedlove where you can find the promo code for $99 a month for six months. How do you deal, because obviously, especially now, we, you, we live at the periphery, let's say intellectually, of most of the world. Right. The, the disparagement that's typically directed at independent journalists or people like yourself is conspiracy theorists. How, and, and the other thing, and this we could maybe talk a little bit about where that term comes from, because as I understand it, that was a CIA creation anyways, after JFK. Yeah. And then how, I, so I don't so much agree with the conspiracy theorist label, but there is this element when people, and we do it all the time, we can't help it when we say they don't want this, they want this, they want that. This like elusive they seems to be well, well, what people seize onto. So like, how do you deal with, if people come at you, yeah. Let's say you're a conspiracy. Yeah. So, 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 so when I say they, I mean, it's a conspiracy of interests. Okay. It's not, I, I, maybe you've seen a lot of my videos, maybe you haven't, but I always say, look, it's not a bunch of like fat old white men with cigars cackling evilly in, in a, in a, in a smoky room. It's, it's, it's a bunch of different interests that align and sometimes war against each other. But once a moment, momentum takes over, like once the COVID momentum took over, you could see that it was a runaway, runa, runaway train and people that are psychopaths figured out a way to make money off of it. And so, you, and then once the vaccines were deemed unsafe, well, oh, we, so let's pay off the media companies to shut them up. So it's like, it's not a bunch of guys in a back room controlling it. It's people up at the top, a conspiracy of interests. They're not always aligned, but loosely affiliated. That's the day. It's not, it's not hard. Hmm. I mean, when I say they, that's what I mean. And it, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean one guy. Right. But the people, the people, I mean, the intelligence agencies are wrapped up in this all throughout because the intelligence agencies are, are nothing more in my mind than um, there's, all, you know, I think it's, it's, it, there's two intelligence agencies. Let's take the CIA. There's the white hats who are, who join because they're patriotic and they gather information. They sit in their cubicle. Then there's the uh, black book operations, 
that are basically being done at the at the uh, request of oligarchs. I mean, we know about what went on in Latin America in the seventies and sixties with the uh, you know um, the Dulles uh, um, CIA. He basically was helping his friends in the in the fruit industry to you know get cheap labor out of Central America. So this just goes on. And, and, you know, and it's black ops. I mean, in, in Afghanistan, uh, when we took over Afghanistan, the, the um, contribution of um, the poppy fields there to the heroin market were like 15%. Once we took over, 80% of all poppies came from Afghanistan. So what do you think was going on there for 20, why were we there for 20 years? Because the CIA was running black book operations and helping sell it and funding wow. part of their black ops budget. I mean, it's, these are just, these are like criminal government. You can view parts of our government as criminal mafia operations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've often said that it's hard to distinguish between government and organized crime. If anything, government is the most organized crime. Right. So, I mean, um, Elon Musk, I mean, you know, Elon Musk, controversial. You don't have to love him, you don't have to hate him, but he did, he did say something that was pretty profound that, Said, look, the, the problem with government is it's 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 a request with the threat of violence behind it all the time. That's it. Right. That's the only reason they that's the only reason they can do it is the threat of violence or jailing you or putting you away. That's it. Right. Yeah, the mo monopoly on violence itself. Yeah. And um we mentioned that term conspiracy theorist. Do you know more in depth where that term came from? I just know it was kind of related to JFK. After JFK's assassination, they started using that term um, yeah. to designate people who were questioning it. So basically, after JFK was assassinated, and without getting into what went on there, there were a lot of questions. And before, you know, I was talking to my father about this, and he gave me some good insight. Because now it's, yeah, you know, oh, the JFK, they're called JFK conspiracy theorists. But back then, when that went down, the nation was like freaking out. And there were mainstream media, you know, newspapers and people questioning what went on. They were questioning the, like, there were lots of questions and they didn't have, I mean, it, it was a pretty shoddily run operation if it was an assassination um, that was not just, you know, Oswald. If it was, if it was someone other, it was a shoddy operation and the cover up was shoddy. So there were lots of questions, people asking legitimate questions. And so... There was a memo that went out from the CIA to their media operatives because the media had been infiltrated to start to smear anybody who questioned the narrative that the government was putting forth as a conspiracy theorist. And so there were key operators in the media who started doing that in unison. And that that really that that there has been with us ever since so if you you know if you question the government you're a conspiracy theorist i mean that's just the label and, and you know you and i can laugh at that because we know throughout history time after time after time that the government lies all the time i mean it's, we all know that in vietnam um it was a false flag in the gulf of tonkin that, that got us into the war that was that that's now come up you had said that back then you were a conspiracy theorist but that's now truth the government does you know run operations to deceive right. us they run experiments on their own people tuskegee i mean this is this is uh let's call it the covid vaccines the grandest experiment of all i mean this is it's absurd to like 
call that's why i don't even i don't even get upset when some when someone calls me a conspiracy theorist i immediately assume they're weak-minded i don't i don't i don't engage and i don't debate because if that's all you've got if you don't want to talk about the facts you're you just you're just you're not you're not in the same uh level playing field as me and i don't even waste my time on you i have friends that do that and they find out pretty quickly <clears throat> i don't engage i have people online <clears throat> that do that i don't engage but you know my facts and my thesis of the case just stand on their own. And in, in fact, I've often described myself as a stock conspiracy theorist. Because that's what I did. What I did for a career was not called conspiracy theory. It's called stock picking. Let's, what does a stock picker do? All right. To make a ton of money, you got to be early to, early to, the, to the, the change in, in the thesis, right? So I create a thesis. And the thesis is not mainstream yet. It's not in the newspaper. It's not widely known. Even my fellow investing friends don't know it. I come up with a thesis because I've come up with a unique insight. I then am operating with 20% of the available information. And over time, I'm looking at other sources of data that aren't mainstream to confirm my thesis. So I'm a stock picking conspiracy theorist. And if I'm right, I make a lot of money. If I'm wrong, I sell the stock and cut my losses. You apply my skill set, which is in you know deductive reasoning, to anything else, it's called conspiracy theory. There's this, we have this problem with inductive and deductive reason. Inductive is like bottom up, you know, mm -hmm. like years and years of study. You know, that's what scientists mm -hmm. do. That de deductive is, you know, it's it's what a lot of detectives do when they solve crimes. I mean, it's you, you put together uh, the, 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 you know, you put together the case, the theory of the case. And then over time, your thesis looks like the preponderance of evidence is correct. Right. You know, one of the things that I've been saying is, look, um, I'll just use a simple example. Uh, we found out that the millennials had 84% excess mortality into the fall of 2021, above and beyond baseline. And that going into the end of 2020, it was like, like 45%. And then it shot up in a three-month period to 84%. What happened? What did the virus decide to attack only young people in 2021? Did it decide to only attack uh, working age people um, in a three-month period, August, September, October? Rate of change there was so tremendous. It went, it went, it just, you, you've seen the chart. It goes like this, right? It's called the rate of change. So I, through deductive reasoning, I go, what changed? The vaccines, the only thing, and mandates. People were compelled to take an experimental vaccine and death surged. So my, the people who want to come at me and call me a conspiracy theorist and say, oh, it's due to suicides. It's due to drug overdoses. It's due to um, uh, missing cancer screening treatments. And I say, that could be the case, but not temporarily in a three-month period. You, that, you, that's three, that's three right. series of coincidences that make no sense. That's deductive reasoning. That's it. I don't need to prove it. It's like common sense, you know? Um, yeah. So that's where we are in a society. We did we, we like deductive reasoning is viewed as conspiracy theories. Hmm. That's you know that is scary indeed. The I mean, does that make sense? And no, you it does. It, all the time. it does. I want to ask: Is that the introduction of a term like conspiracy theorist? Do you think this is intended to feed this kind of us versus them divisive? um programming they're 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 instilling into people because what 
I guess what I'm trying to to surface here is the actual dynamics of this information warfare. Like, is a is a term like that purposely thrown out? So there's people asking questions. You don't want them asking questions. Give people a a term to label them by, which lets now you can psychologically put them in a box, right? This guy that Correct. was asking questions before, maybe you're listening and engaging dialogically. You can now put him in this box of conspiracy theorist, and you don't you figured him out, right? You have knowledge of that individual is that this feeding of new uh, what are these called neologisms is that what they call it a new word a new term is the feeding of that into the cultural discourse intended to create more of this us versus them divisiveness or or is there an alternative purpose perhaps well its original purpose was 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 genius in my mind right so um, it, it accomplishes two things. Um, you utter the word, you're a conspiracy theorist. So you, you're, if you're a weak-minded person and does, and you don't want to, you, and and you don't really believe in the facts of your case, you don't want to be labeled. So there's, so you, you don't want to be called that because it's a disparaging term. Um, you don't understand why that term is being thrown at you. So you self-censor yourself. So you don't want to ever be called that. So you. Think of all the myriads of people that self-censored themselves during COVID because they didn't want to be called a conspiracy theorist. Because right. that's what everyone was calling anybody that questioned them, a conspiracy theorist. And that, for me, I don't care what you call me. I have zero uh, ZFG, zero fucks given. I don't care. Um, because, because that's where I am in my life. But, you know, it's a great weaponization of self of creating people who self-censor it was genius the cia created that so first it accomplished self-censorship because you don't want to be labeled that even though the label is meaningless and then second weak-minded people who don't know how to argue use that term and they say it so with such a plume and arrogance if, that they it comes across as like smart but it's not when someone right. call when you, you when you call someone a conspiracy theorist you're literally showing to me how dumb you are because you don't want to argue what they just said. Right. You know, no, that's a great, great point. So it's introducing this element of shame, perhaps, that causes people to self censor. And then right. also giving people that, and I don't like, so I think most people just don't want to have to engage with this stuff, right? I, I don't want to bucket them all into the weak-minded necessarily there's some people just want to get on with their fucking life and not have to deal yeah, with all the I, crazy I get it. shit so they'll grab onto that term too as almost like a it's a safety valve for them right that they can it's confirming what they want to believe they want to believe the government's not working in their working against them they want to believe the vaccines are safe someone drops in a term that's conspiracy theorist that confirms all those beliefs just by using this one term people grab onto it yeah. yeah well in my i don't know how in my own life i have lots of friends on maui and we're in all different political religious backgrounds and we all get along and i don't what i do you know i'm very vocal online but in my personal life i'm not running around trying to convince people because i i find that that's just annoying so like but people know i've heard what i'm up to so when someone asks me a question I'll answer it. If they call me a conspiracy theorist, I just look at them. I go, we're done here. Like, I don't go out of my way to create conflict. But if I'm asked for opinions, and then call the immediately conspiracy theorist. I just shut it down and say, you, you're, you're, 
I actually, I, I created a term ago. You are what I call the unbegotten. You're not conscious of what's going on in the world. And we can't even have a conversation. And they, they don't like, so I've created a term. They call me conspiracy theorists. I call them the unbegotten. They don't like that. <laughs> you know, maybe you need to look at yourself. You're not conscious, my friend. And then they, they, they actually ask me, what does that mean, unbegotten? I go, it means you're not conscious. Yeah. Wow. And then I walk away. And that's yeah. that. Yeah. No, that's good. So you mentioned the the Hegelian dialectic earlier, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. How do you, th I mean, I know I'm, I'm going to ask you a speculative question, so speculative answers are obviously okay. How do you see that playing out in the years ahead? Do you think that, that we've already been presented with a thesis and now we're waiting on the antithesis to get to the synthesis or how do you see that mapping on to where we're going? So let's, I'll just try to be as simple as I can. So COVID was the problem. We got the reaction, which was fear. And then Klaus Schwab and the WEF, that was their coming out party. The WEF, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Harari, all these, all these people. If you notice, they, no one really knew who they were until COVID. And then they, they came out of the shadows. They've always been there. They're part of the Bilderberg group and the Davos group. They're there. They've always been there. And they have a lot of their um, graduates in our governments now with their philosophies and their whatever the hell they think we're, we're, where we're going. And they started talking about the Great Reset and they started proposing crazy uh, ideas like you will own nothing and you will eat the bugs uh, and you'll be happy. Um, and they, you know, they, they, they're, they're, there's twofold agenda. We have to worry about pandemics that are being caused by climate change and climate change. We all have to get together to save the planet and you'll own nothing. And we're all going to, you know, this is all in, to usher in um, uh, this central bank digital currency that's linked to everything where they can control literally everything you do. And if they don't like what you say, you have a social credit score, they can shut, shut, you know, shut off your, your, your bank account. Ultimately, you know, there's a transhumanism agenda. They want to chip us. Uh, they want to be able to, you know, just control every aspect of our lives, right? So, you know, I, I look at these, these uh, the Klaus Schwab and the Harari and these things they're proposing as clownish to the point of they're just inherently evil, right? And I do, believe, I do think that they think that they're, you know, if I, if I was... Uh, the supremely evil i would set those guys up thinking they're in charge fund them tell them go hog wild we're going to run with your plan and then uh i'd uh have someone else with the real plan in the background defeat the have have those of us out there eventually after much chaos and economic global collapse and going on sometime in the next two years these guys get you know quote unquote, defeated, whatever that looks like. I don't know what it looks like, whether it's arrest or ignored or whatever. Then uh, out of left field at, at the bottom of um, the fear and pain and anguish, wh whether that means global, global economic collapse, war with uh, Russia, whatever it is, th there's going to be more fear because that's what they need because the system's collapsing. So out of that fear, with you, you, you set up these clownish, cartoonish, evil Bond villains they go by the way of the dodo bird. Everyone feels great, but then there's the shiny, smart, handsome, beautiful women and men who look who sound very reasonable with a system to save us. But you know, we all know the system. They'll know the system ins and outs. It'll be 
Um, that's those are the folks I'm really going to focus on. I mean, I, I don't think the, I don't think anybody's going to buy, you know, chipping chipping yourself and, and plugging into the Borg AI computer. I mean, that sounds insane. I don't think anybody's going to do that. So they 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 they, they definitely. I think I, I don't think a lot of people have been saying this, but I think these clowns are being set up to fail, and then the real system comes in. That's that's my personal opinion. That's speculation. But that's how that's how you move a population. You get everybody in fear, and then you, you could even win over a bunch of us, right? A bunch mm -hmm. of us who aren't like, oh, we've got Carl Schwab, and then next thing you know, you know, and th these people may be among us now. Who knows? They may they, they may be, you know, some of the white knights that are helping us right now, and then they they come up with the system. Just beware. Right, right. No, that's interesting. So there, there's the possibility we haven't even seen who's running this right okay yeah yeah that's interesting I, I mean i could be completely wrong it's speculative but if i'm a, if i'm the grand chess player that's how i do it if i was a diabolical evil genius that's what yeah. i would do and that's what that's what the occult uh teachings tell you to do you know right the uh, thesis antithesis synthesis yeah so we're gonna watch for the synthesis people they're right. they're not on the playing field yet i don't think right. they're here I haven't seen them. And they'll come out at a time of peak chaos or uncertainty or pain presenting the solution. Yes. Correct. Right. And then under that duress, people are more likely to accept the solution in short order. Correct. And, and, and maybe many of us who are onto this, because, you know, like I said, there could be people already amongst us who I don't know. I don't see anybody who looks supremely connected that's a part of this fight it's usually it's, it seems to be a, an amalgamation of people who just kind of got into this fight willy-nilly because they wanted to and you know they just became my like my 15 minutes of fame shocked me i'm sure dr malone when he started he did his little uh dark horse podcast in june of 2020 never would have imagined what his life has turned into mm -hmm. so that i don't see anybody on the field yet uh right. that is going to come in with the synthesis interesting that'll be yeah, have to keep our eyes and minds wide open for that one. Absolutely. Um, Question everything always. <laughs> <laughs> and think think for yourself. That's right. Exactly. So you said this, this is on an interview of yours that I watched, and you're speaking about the Fed, I think, with this quote. I hope this is an exact quote, but it might be a little bit off. Uh, again, in regards to the Fed, you said it's kind of a meta fraud. Basically, if I were the devil and you wanted to create wars, havoc, and economic booms and busts, I would create the current Federal Reserve System. Yeah. So, you know, and I talk a lot on the show about the evils of central banking. I, you know, I read The Creature from Jekyll Island tw almost 20 years ago now, 15, 20 years ago. And mm -hmm. that was a discovery for me that, oh, man, this is the this is the core problem in the world is that we have soviet style money basically or debt-based money legal monopoly whatever you want to call it um is all of this this meta fraud that we call the federal reserve system is this the heart of the other fraud we're talking about here that it's are these the shareholders of central banks trying to position themselves for the next few centuries like what's what's going on with yeah uh, you the look, players the, 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 the the central banking system is a multi-generational Ponzi scheme. Fraud. <clears throat> Why is that? Well, like I said in that quote, 
um, it's inherently unstable, right? And it requires constant credit creation um, that, that then collapses under its own weight. So we saw the dot-com collapse under its own weight. We saw the, you know, uh, the, the, the boom in the roaring 20s collapse under its own weight. We saw uh, the great uh, the financial and, the, and, and these, these crashes and bubbles, are, are, they're, they're, they're getting closer in time. It used to take a lot longer. Now it's so much closer in time. Because the systems, you know, it's like it's 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 frequency, right? It goes like this, and then towards the end, it's like it's going like that. So, you know, the the, the real estate crisis, that fraud, um, uh, was you know that was kind of the that was the beginning of the end because that fraud ended up on the banks, the central bank's balance sheet. So then the central bankers themselves became corrupted. At first, I just think they were they were just doing they were just going along, tweaking, dialing, and they didn't really know where their money printing would go. Then they came, they, their money printing goes to governments, goes directly, you know, to where they want it to go for the most part. Um, it does have other knock-on effects like the crypto bubble, what have you, but it, 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 it grows, debt compounding grows at um, uh, an unnatural rate. It doesn't grow at, at, at the natural rate that God grows everything on this earth. There's a rate of growth according to nature um, that we see debt compounding of debt does not grow at God's growth rate. So that's why I me metaphysically call it. It's the devil's money. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, if I was Satan and I wanted to create a system that didn't grow at the rate that God put on this planet, meaning, you know, Fibonacci numbers, you know, you know what I'm talking about. There's natural growth rates, right? It doesn't grow at that rate it grows. It, 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 it always grows to the point of collapse because it grows too fast and compounding debt compounding upon debt interest it just it always collapses now this this u.s federal reserve system started in 1913 and what are we 109 years after that or something like that and it's a multi-generational ponzi scheme so people just forget what what it is that we're, we're dealing with except for a few of us <laughs> right yeah no, that's and, uh, and, and look if, if you yeah. know it's going to collapse uh, you want to keep yourself in power. So I do think, you know, there are central bankers who know what's coming. The IMF knows what's coming. The World Bank knows what's coming. These people, the uh, Bank of International stuff, they all know. So they're trying to figure out through uh, a, a scheme, which is central bank digital currency to stay in power. It's all about maintaining control and wealth. Right. And that the metaphysical point on you know god and his growth rate and the devil that's pretty apt because in that that book milton i think it was milton wrote paradise lost it was the devil in the book that told him to go and print money right correct he was telling it was it is evil all the way to the core um also it, it, in the bible right this is uh unjust weights and measures just it's a, a breakdown just like they attack language like we said earlier with the definition yeah. of recession you're attacking the definition of goods and services when you distort the money. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we've all heard those famous quotes by the Rothschild bankers, whether they're real or not, but they're apt. You know, I don't I, I, I care not who runs the government. If I control their money, I control them like that's right. Yeah, they just don't care. And again, they don't control them in the moment, but they control them over time. You know, if you control the if you control the money source, you control the gun. And you know, Marx wrote about this, too. Marx. Mm -hmm. wrote a lot about central banks 
and you know <laughs> central banking is a, is communism of the money system yes it's, yeah uh I, I quote this often measure number five in Marx's 1848 manifesto to the communist party was a state monopoly on cash and credit. There right, you so go. It's, central banking is straight out of Marx's playbook. Um, Absolutely. So man, it's, it's crazy that we've gotten this far on such a broken system. Um, and, and okay. most people, like you, you and you and I, are being very philosophical about this. But one of the the why I was good at what I did is I saw the great financial crisis coming because I knew how the system worked. No, most people don't know how the system works, like like how credit works. And you could see that it was going to collapse under. You knew it was going to collapse under its own weight because at some point, it's just mathematical. Like there's there's no one left to lend to to keep the Ponzi scheme going. Right. And then prices start going down and then it just feeds on itself. So the, it it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 re, it's reflexivity up and reflexivity down. I mean, Soros right. talks about it. He knows what it is. Yes. No, that's a great point that it, it is the, the leverage that's amplifying at least the nominal gains and then exacerbating the nominal losses. Correct. But when, but when you, it sounds like not so bad if you say nominal, but considering that's guiding the allocation of capital and human action over time, it just, it actually creates real consequences in the real world. Um, Correct. Okay. So I guess, and we'll use, <laughs> I noticed in some of your interviews, you're using the term magic juice instead of the, uh, the magic. Well, I had to, because they wanted me to, uh, I think you're, you probably watched the Bitcoin interview I did where, she didn't want to get um, uh, delisted from YouTube, so Band I switched it from that. Yeah, so I, yeah. I switched it to Magic Juice. So it's a, a testament to kind of this weird world of censorship, the specter of censorship, I guess, we're all living in. We have to use different terms uh, to refer well, to things. Yeah, she, she was worried the algorithm would pick it up and then they'd inspect the video and then, you know, remove it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so... One of the points in that interview was made, he said, those that took the magic juice were essentially the human trials for mRNA Correct. vaccines. Right. And you also brought up the point that those, the, they were tested on animals. I think you said rats, and there were pretty horrific consequences of that testing. And then you also got into, I think it was Moderna that was known oh, yeah. to be a slimy company with a scumball CEO. Um, can I just get your thoughts on all of that? Like, what, what, what's the deal with the magic juice? Um, in terms of its efficacy, and then how does how does the pharmaceutical industry fit into this whole uh, information warfare dynamic we've been talking about? Okay, so so the pharmaceutical industry basically owns the FDA. Okay, um, it became they've always owned them, but it wasn't as they, they 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 had certain standards they applied, which is if you um, had all so when you run a drug trial, it's something called all cause mortality, right? When you run when when you're a, a single product biotech company and you're running a trial. And more people die in the product group than the placebo group. That doesn't get approved. They, they at least were still doing that. 
but they, for the most part, they knew that trials were being gained. So if it was super deadly, they would eliminate it. Okay. But they, they played games and they got a lot of stuff through that shouldn't have gotten through. Come now to the EUA, the emergency youth authorization, all the political pressure, all the agenda, hidden agendas, all this push for what I think was, you know, the vaccine was a gateway for a vaccine passport that then would be linked to a digital ID, digital currency. That, that it was all to make us comply and get in the habit of just doing what we're told. And this vaccine in we didn't find this out when they announced it in November of uh, right after Trump uh, lost, or you know, a lot of us would think it was stolen from him, but whatever. After, right after the election, Pfizer came out with their press release saying that 95% efficacy, yada, yada, yada. They didn't like, you know, post really a lot of information. Um, and so people ran with that. It came out through a FOIA requ request in like October of 2021 that they failed what's called the all-cause mortality endpoint. 23% more people in the vaccine group died versus the placebo group. That should, that, that should never have been approved. Boom, done, but it got approved and it was hidden from us. So this thing right out of the chute was garbage, right out of the chute. It was, and, and then we're, we're now finding out that the efficacy numbers are garbage too, they basically, unblinded all the studies. So what, what we saw with Pfizer, and we're assuming Moderna, but I'm focusing on Pfizer, because they they both, um, here's another tell, they both came out with the same um, uh, uh, mechanism of action. Normally when you're doing vaccines, you come up with different ones to compete. They, they both decided to do the exact same mechanism of action, same, it's basically the same product. So let's just assume Moderna did the same crap that Pfizer did. But I have evidence for Pfizer because I interviewed Brooke Jackson, the uh, whistleblower. Basically, the studies were unblinded. It was a 28-day trial study. 28 days. Most studies take years. We just did this in 28 days, stamped it, and then it was the propaganda like, like I've never seen in my life. Scary propaganda. Safe and effective. That was the, that was the buzzword, right? In, in the dot-com fraud, it was new paradigm. In the uh, financial crisis, uh, real estate fraud, it was home prices never go down. This fraud, safe and effective. It was neither safe nor we've come to find out effective. It doesn't work. It kills and disables. And that, they knew that. And they ran with it anyways. And um, my, my contribution to this uncovering was I told Dr. Malone when I became affiliated with him that I was going to investigate the insurance companies and the uh, funeral home companies. And, you know, sure enough, in the second half, the fall of 2021, their losses just exploded. They didn't explode in 2020 because, you know, when, it, when an 80-year-old policyholder dies, you don't lose any money because they've already paid into it. When, when you're uh, a 28-year-old employee working for XYZ Corporation with a death benefit of 150 grand, which, by the way, I, I signed many of those when I on, onboarded the companies, you never get, you, you, when you sign them, it's kind of a joke. You're not going to die, right? Unless you get in an accident. That that exploded in the second half of 21. 40 percent excess mortality in the insurance industry in the in their group life group life divisions. So the evidence. What's really disturbing about all this is the evidence is so overwhelming, and yet nothing. We have we're still vaccinating people. We're still approving for children. So to me, at this point, the longer this goes, 
unchecked, the more I'm becoming convinced it definitely is an agenda and they're just going to push it through no matter what. Cause they're like, either we're, we're going, we're going to go run the table or we're going to go to jail. Let's run the table. And that's what they're doing. I mean, this, this is unreal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, every time we talk about it, I'm just staggered that it's, it's real and it's happening now because it, it also just happened so fast, at least from my perspective, uh, I didn't think we'd get this far along in so few years. Um, so you made the point. Yeah. Okay. Safe and effective was the mantra. The data says neither safe nor effective. The marketing too, I think is very disturbing, especially the, the marketing geared towards the children where you see things Absolutely. like Sesame street and these other cartoon characters, you know, speaking to kids, like you need to go get this magic juice. Are we, you know, I talked to Matthias Desmond and he's the author of uh, a book called the psychology of totalitarianism. Uh, Malone has made reference to his work and um, it, what are your thoughts on this being a mass formation psychosis that we're, I don't know that humans are just prone to this type of deceit and or self-deceit to get wrapped up in these narratives, right? And then we just carry the narrative to the point of disaster. Um, and it wouldn't be the first time we've done this, right? We had oh. Soviet communism. We've had the Salem witch trials. We've had these things at all different scales. Are we? we had the people, yeah, yeah, we had the people who danced uh, themselves to death. There's some dancing psychosis. <laughs> yeah, we've had a bunch of weird things. Yeah. Are we in one? Are we embroiled in a mass psychosis with this? Yeah. I, so I think so. Because I, I saw, I, this is my third mass psychosis. I saw a small one um, in the dot-com. Most people didn't see it because they weren't in the investment world. But like I was in this world of investing and internet stocks started flying and no one knew why, but people had the belief, well, the stock market, stock market must be right. They must. It, so there was this, I, I remember going, I, I, I came out when I worked right before the dot-com blew up. I was on Wall Street. I went to DLJ, Donaldson, Luffman, Generette. I was electric utilities, a very boring state business. So I'm in the research department and I'm right down the hall from the internet uh, desk where they're doing the research for internet companies, but they're doing, they're also facilitating the investment banking. So DLJ would IPO initial public offering new companies and the investment research folks were, you know, used to be part of the due diligence of that, but the research people got paid directly from the investment banking fee. So there was incentive just to do the deal, right? So there, there were people who were incentivized to write bullshit flowery reports and make, I mean, some of these guys, you know, like, uh, I, I forget the guy's name, but I, he made like 14 million one year. His associates made a million. They were like kids right out of college. It was insane, right? And that was, that was uh, 98, 99, insanity. But everyone was believing it. Everyone believed, and I remember going, then I became a, tech, a technology analyst. I left DLJ, went to what's called the buy side up in Boston. And I was walking around these conferences going, these people are whacked. But, you know, I also knew that historically, and I was a student of history, that you don't get bearish until the charts tell you to get bearish. So I waited. And the moment they cracked, I, well, I was getting bearish beforehand, but I, I made a name for myself of being the guy, not a big name, just a small name to get me another job at BlackRock. 
in Boston as a guy like this is all bullshit and this and there's fraud everywhere. So I saw I saw a mass I saw people's career careers wiped out believing down 90%. They would ride stocks down 90%. These are professionals, not people, doctors. These are professionals. And careers were wiped out because they were under mass formation psychosis. I didn't know it at the time, but I always thought, what kind of idiot would do that? Then you go to the the great financial crisis. There was this like, then it kind of went kind of mainstream. Everyone's like flipping houses, right? So this is, this is, this, so, so we're, for some reason, human beings are susceptible to this kind of bullshit and the people running the show with COVID figured that out and they, they went hog wild in the propaganda. I mean, I was horrified in February of 21 driving around Maui, uh, hearing ads on the radio saying, go get your Pfizer vaccine. It's safe and effective. It's been approved by the FDA. It was neither approved. It had been authorized under EUA, but they never said EUA. So like, the typical low information Hawaiian has no idea. He thinks he's doing, you know, a good public service and doing his doing his part. He doesn't realize what a scam is going on. So this is my third one. So I think we're in one. Now, what's the most interesting part about this is we're going as we as the evidence is becoming undeniable more and and word of mouth is spreading. I do believe that more and more people are becoming aware. People are going through what's called you know, the stages of grief, right? You know, what are the stages of grief? It's uh, um, denial, anger, depression, then acceptance. We're, we're going from denial to anger soon. Then there'll be depressed people realizing they fucked up, excuse my French, their health forever. And then there's going to be acceptance. And the acceptance part is somewhere between uh, anger and acceptance, there's going to be lots of people starting to go to jail or at least investigated that's my hope and public opinion shifts so much that you know we get we get this ship turning but we're i do believe you're correct we're in a mass formation psychosis so that's really, unwinding right unwinding right now right right it's interesting those two bubbles you bring up you bring up the dot-com crisis and the 2008 real estate crisis those are both market distortions, let's say, or exacerbations of the business cycle driven largely by the debasement of currency. Correct. Obviously. Correct. So, and you describe those both as mass formation psychosis. So is there a causative relationship between debasing money or violating property and the onset of mass formation psychosis? They're, they're absolutely because uh, I think you know, so there's a saying on Wall Street: price, price is truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but I've always said price is truth, but time is the ultimate arbiter of that truth. So you can be right until you're very, very wrong, and that's so. There's these I call them illusions. Like we, we joke about the stock market, like when when the bubble was really going in 21. I go, it's a the stock market is a video game. Okay, I just came back. I just yep. got the twenty percent uh, battery warning. Okay. Um, the video, the video game known as the stock market, and friends of mine on Wall Street joke they, they knew the reason stocks were going up was because of easy money. They had to play the game because that's the game. You know, when you're tied to these benchmarks and indices, you have to. They play the game, but then the game is to get off the bus before everybody else gets off the bus. Right. Right. And, and so, so. 
So what I found so interesting about COVID was Wall Street people know this, but they they felt so many people fell for that because it wasn't financial. It wasn't directly financial, but it is. It is financial. It's it was data fraud, but it's financial because it's going to be used as a control system, and they didn't see it. And most people didn't see it. That's yeah. I, I wanted to ask you that question because this is a it's just a thesis I had of mine that I put forth to Matthias and others is even with the Salem witch trials, which were it was pretty well known mass psychosis, but smaller scale, you know, it was just one town. Yeah. Uh, they had this long episode of currency debasement leading to leading up to that as well. So I was like, is there some connection here where we, we go and we print money? We think we're solving all these problems, but what we're actually doing is, interrupting the flow of information through currency right it becomes it doesn't get the, the price signals don't work anymore you don't know if it's supply and demand or it's policy bullshit right so right then people it's, just it's lose price. their mind because they're not you don't have a grip of reality anymore right price uh price price loses loses its tether to reality then that begets um um you know people who are more in turn with discernment and reality think everyone's crazy and they usually end up not participating in it and they don't make the money and then they, they feel stupid. Mm -hmm. And so then, and then the people who make the money or whatever feel godlike and, and genius like until that's all until, until the, it, it, it bursts. The game on wall street used to like ride, ride the retail wave up and then get out before the retail suckers get taken to the woodshed. That's that's just a well-known fact on Wall Street. You want to get out before retail is aware there's a problem. Right. Yeah. That's... I mean, that's, that's it. That's how Wall Street operates. Get it's out fun... before, the, before everybody else figures it out. It's funny how closely that mirrors how crypto operates, that there's a lot of you know VCs buying these tokens early. They pump these things, dump them on retail, and then once the chart turns, they're all out. And retail, Correct. retail takes all the pain. Um, I mean, it's an age-old scam. I mean, yeah. uh, Elon Musk with his Doge coin. I mean, uh, I mean, he bought it, pumped it, sold it. I mean, this is this is, and it's not. It's unregulated, so no one's going to jail for that. Right. Yeah, it's gr great point. Um. So okay, this has been enlightening for me because it just. It does seem really important that we develop a useful language to describe what's going on here. And you could tell even at the beginning of the show, I'm kind of struggling. Like, what do we call this? Information wars or stories? It's it really, I guess if you take it all the way back, it's mythology, right? We're creating just new mythologies, basically. Right. And Correct. fighting over who gets to control the story, basically. Right. Um, what? Okay. Let me ask you this, because this is related, perhaps, to the last topic. But you mentioned this, the millennial generation experiencing, um, and I, I might be misquoting here, a Vietnam War-like, uh, yeah. is it death rates? Uh, some... No, events. 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 They had events. a Vietnam War. Yeah, they had a Vietnam War in one year versus, uh, so 61,000 millennials between March of 21 and Feb of 22. Uh, excessively died, sixty-one thousand. Now, you know, you you know, there could be an argument. Some of them are suicides, and some of them are, you know, um, opiate overdoses. Whatever, I'll give you that. 
but I'd say 80% of it's the vaccine. So let's let's call this 55,000, uh, same as 58,000 was the Vietnam War. They, they experienced a Vietnam War in one year versus um, 10 years for the Vietnam War. It took 10 years for 58,000 wow. US soldiers to die. One year, uh, we, we lost a generation of millennials. 58, 58, 55, 60, whatever you want to call it, they're gone. And, and most of them happened in the uh, second half of 21. When we supposedly had a, a pandemic with less virulent uh, strains and miracle vaccines, you know, real me this, Batman, like, you know, what, what is going on here? You know, it's like the Joker is like laughing his ass off. I mean, this is not, again, the fact, I think part of the reason I was banned from Twitter is my narrative, my story was starting to resonate because my story is based on like common sense and deductive reasoning. Mm -hmm. No one, no one in the mainstream media wants to talk to me because, you know, the, the questions, if the majority of the country could see that chart that I, my, my uh, partner in the insurance industry developed, this thing would be shut down. They, they can't have that out. And I don't know if you know this, but the CDC is currently um, doing a server upgrade. So the data for 2022 is unavailable. And when they, and they said, when they come back online, some of the data is going to be, um, have to be reloaded. So it's not going to update as quickly. They're trying to hide the fact that even though we had that big spike up in the mandates, it's still running very excess deaths are still super high. I'm thinking 20 to 25%. That's what the insurance companies reported in, uh, Q1 was 20 to 30% excess mortality down from 40. So I expected that, but I think it's continuing. So the CDC is now hiding data from us because it's, we, because it's a disaster. Wow. So this, I mean, those millennials injured or killed, I mean, these are the very real consequences of embracing a false narrative, right? Someone Correct grabbed onto a story and said, this is the truth. And they followed the actions that the story told them to do and causes them injury or death. Um, so, all right. So a couple of things, fiat currency debasement seems to be contributing to mass psychosis. Um, if you embrace one of the false narratives that's put out, it can cause you very real harm, you know, up to and including death. You mentioned way earlier that you have a technical point of view on Bitcoin. Um, you know, I would just say that I feel it seems to me that if you have a money that can't be debased running the world or running a society, then all of a sudden that would inhibit the onset of mass formation psychosis. And uh, because, you know, you're not you're not blowing these bubbles as we've been describing earlier. And then also maybe could just lead to a, a humans having more of a relationship with truth again, even if it was just price, right. right? Even if just prices were pristine, right. let's say undistorted, that we'd have more of a relationship with truth. What are your views on Bitcoin technical or otherwise? And how do you see it fitting into all of everything else we've talked about today? Right. Well, let me, before I go into that, let me just say, I just want to re re reiterate something you just said. But, you know, <clears throat> most of the frauds the central banks have blown have been financial frauds. So money was lost. Obviously, people commit suicide within these great fortunes, but not on a mass scale. This most recent fraud we experienced and the narrative that was created to push this fraud 
is a fraud that has killed people, like massive amounts. This is the first fraud where it's not just money, it's human lives. And, I, it's, and I've, I've been quoted as saying, it's never been more important um, uh, than today to know what's really going on because it's detrimental to your health and your life. And this is, this is something we've never seen where uh, a narrative was pushed and killed people. There's been narratives to, you know, maybe kill people by sending them to war, but uh, this is, this is, this is self-immolation on a grand scale that I've never seen. And it's going to, it's going to, it's going to have reverberations for years. It's going to raise institutions to the ground. They're going to have to be rebuilt. That's one of the big implications. Bitcoin, uh, look, Bitcoin uh, is, um, unfortunately, Bitcoin, like anything, um, uh, a lot of central bank fiat money found its way into Bitcoin. And, and deservedly so, because people were afraid. But the problem is, because of all the free, easy money and some of the scam artists going on, going, uh, developing, you know, cryptos are worthless and or all these exchanges that have been we're finding out there's some interesting things going on there and tether and all these leveraging uh bitcoin got caught up in the bubble okay and how do i know that technically we saw something in bitcoin we've never seen before we call it. we saw what's called a yearly swing high it's basically this kind of formation it can be a daily swing high weekly monthly and yearly so you had bar in uh 20 19 like this, a bar in 2020, like this, a new high, and then a bar below the below. So it's it's we haven't seen one in Bitcoin since its inception. Just Bitcoin's had some fa fabulous drawdowns, but never a yearly swing high. This is the first one. And what that means technically is there's a lot of supply. A bunch of people bought at the top. So there's a ton of supply at the top of people who bought at much higher prices. So what that means technically, and again, this is not an indictment of Bitcoin. I, I'm just telling you what, when I see a bubble burst, it goes has to go through a basing period. So what's the base? What's the basing range of Bitcoin? It, we, we have to figure that out first, but it could be between, let's I'll choose a number, 6,000 and 27,000 for five years. So you can trade it, money can be made, but it, it's not going to see 60 plus thousand anytime yeah. soon. And that's my that's my viewpoint. It's going to take some time. It's going to have a place in in our world. It's going to um, be a medium of exchange. But the returns that you saw going into the top, those are going to be muted for years. And you have to be a, a trader rather than an investor to make a ton of money. So I think you're going to see a basin period. That's that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because then it's going to mm -hmm. set itself up for the new March higher and then a, then to eventually new all time highs. So. If, if you have a 20 year view, you will see new highs. If you have a five year view, you got to wait. Interesting. If we zoom out a bit um, from just Bitcoin price to its, you know, if it should succeed, I guess, um, what do you think the implications would be? Because it seems like monopolizing and controlling the money is a very indispensable ingredient to all of this narrative manipulation we've described if all of a sudden that option goes off the table well not all of a sudden if eventually the option goes off the table to manipulate monopolize money what does that mean for the the nature of information wars so if if you don't have unlimited money to print to run your schemes and operations it it means 
the control. I think what it really means is we're going from globalization back to localization or decentralization. I think you're going to see um, a, a, a shattering of the power bases that are currently united in what they're trying to do. And you're going to see new power bases rise. I think you're going to see local economies. You're going to see lots of innovation, lots of people flocking to areas with like-minded individuals and those who don't agree with us will live up. I think we're going to see a splintering and a re it's going to be a renaissance, but it's not going to be the kind of global, it's not going to be global in nature. It's going to be local. I think, I think, I think when you have a, when the monopolization of money goes bye-bye uh, you, and you, and there's no one set agenda being pushed, it's harder to get everybody to, you know, row down the same uh, stream. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. We, I, I talk a lot on the show about um, the book, the sovereign individual, and it makes a similar so, claim that when non-state digital money really takes hold and the monopoly on money is broken, that states will shrink and they'll fragment and, you know, yeah. Um, is um, okay. That's all really good. I, I know we're close to time here. Would it, maybe this is just, I'm just thinking out loud here. A new way to describe Bitcoin actually is as the most honest or truthful narrative construct humans have ever had that well, it, finally, finally we have an institution that we can't corrupt or change. Right. And that's the problem with all these other institutions is they set out to do one thing and then over time they become corrupt and they change right. and they, they deviate their path. Um, yeah. I would just love to hear your what, thoughts what, on that. Let's, let's think about, Let's think about um, what Bitcoin is. It's a, it's from what I understand, my limited understanding. It's like you know, it's an open source ledger. You can see it. Everybody can see it, right? It's not hidden. There's no hidden. Nothing agendas. is hidden. Yeah. Nothing's hidden. Let's look at central banking. No one knows what the hell's going on at the Fed. No one. Not even not even half the Fed, <laughs> or maybe maybe eighty percent of the Fed has no idea. You know. Uh, I mean, we have swap lines with China, dollar swap lines, our, our stated enemy. What's, why do we have dollar swap lines with our stated enemy? Why do we have dollar? I mean, think about all the weird stuff we don't see. So it's totally hidden. It's occulted. Let's call it central banking is occult. It's hidden. It's not open and honest. That's why Bitcoin um, is so, I think a lot, a lot of people love it. Again, like anything, it, it, it can be it, it, it can be turned into a speculative bubble. My I, my thesis is that Bitcoin was bid up on purpose by central banks to create a crash. But mm. you know, I've had, uh, I've I had similar intuition. Yeah, yeah, because um, they understand how markets work and froth, and so like they, I think I think it was partly uh, institutions getting in on it. And then I do think there were nefarious players who had a incentive to print money and go buy it and cause it to go up. I mean, I can't prove that's pure speculation on my sure. part, but if I was yeah. a central banker and I wanted to ruin crypto and Bitcoin in the minds of individuals, mm -hmm. I would inflate it, get people to buy at the top and then collapse it. Cause most right. people don't usually go in until the end. 80% of 80% of the gains, are made by a few individuals. The other, the, the last twenty percent of the gains are made by everybody, but they're given up in like two weeks when it collapses. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've had a similar intuition about that type of play, um, and it goes back to this 
this is a quote by Jefferson, I think. He said, if the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. So it would seem like as we go into this end game, it's not going to be... That's where we are. Yeah. We're, we're, we're almost there. It's not going to be just price inflation forever. You're going to have these huge deflationary downdrafts and then, right. you know, central bank response that carries the inflation high again. Um, as you said earlier, that the, the business cycle is becoming more contracted in time and also more severe in magnitude. Like the sell-off right. in March, 2020 was faster than 1929. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the more artificial liquidity we pump into this thing, I just think you're going to get more of that volatility uh, more frequently. So, absolutely. Um, Ed, man, this has been one hell of a conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Um, would love to have you again on some other time because there's so much to talk about. Um, yeah, no, well, I'll, I'll come back with another hour, hour and a half. We'll figure it out. I like the, I like this format because we can get into you know, more the philosophical, metaphysical, and, you know, a lot of people don't understand the system. And I think if people understood the system, they'd see the news and they'd be like, oh, I understand that one. Right. <laughs> you know, I get what's going, I get why that's going on, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just follow the money. It's not easy to figure out, but once you get a sense for it, it is definitely helpful, I guess, for seeing what's really going on. Could you please let my audience know where can, they can find out more about you or your work? Yeah, so I was banned on Twitter uh, recently because I was, you know, just saying truth. I'm on Getter. I have a pretty big following on Getter. I got uh, at uh, on Getter, G-E-T-T-R is Getter, uh, at Edward Dowd, D-O-W-D. Uh, I'm in the process of working on a website where I'm going to consolidate all the research that I've done so people can grab it and try to convince other folks or institutions we're going to put it all up there so people can grab it and do what they want with it um we're gonna hopefully uh we're gonna make we wrote a, a my colleague and i wrote a letter to the insurance industry 100 ceos um and 50 state regulators with all the information we found asking the question do you want to look at the should we look at the vaccine and we only got about 25 people on the calls we had calls with the doctors that have a different narrative malone mccullough you know the, the ones um, we had a call, we have a couple of insurance executives working behind the scenes with us, but you know, they're just not the, the, the bravest of people at the moment. So we're going to probably make this letter that we sent to the insurance CEOs public soon. So we can humiliate those that didn't get on the call. And, and, the, and the idea is you've been put on notice and if you can't figure out the vaccine is, uh, you know, bankrupting you, you're, 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 you're there's something wrong with you. Right. Wow. Well, thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, we'll link to all that in the show notes as well. And thanks again, Ed. Really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Robert.